0: Okay, everyone. Another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. Once again, joined by Dauber Hockey's Alex McLean. Alex, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks, Steve. Things all good on your end? Uh, they are doing. I- I'm well. You know, I'm I'm well. I'm not as highly caffeinated as some of our morning episodes, so uh, we'll we'll see how today goes, but. Um, did you realize that we're recording this in the midst of this year's Hockey Hall of Fame announcement?
1: I'm just uh, refreshing Twitter now to see how, uh, how that was going about. But, yeah, still disappointed
0: McGillney's not in. He's not? Again? No. Again. Oh, come on. Oh, that's, that's like the, the – I, I only wanted to see two things this year. Like, Jerome McGinley, he was a lock. And mm. as an Oiler fan, um, it's not even begrudging respect. It's just respect for that guy. Like, he is, like, the definition of a Hall of Famer. So, no questions about that. I'm I'm so glad to see him celebrated. I'm just assuming he's in. Um, yes. Yeah, and then he Mag- did make it. Awesome. And then McGilney was the other guy that, i mean to me it's it's kind of a slam dunk like he was he was a superstar when I was just a wee little lad, and he he was one of the best players in the n h l even if it was for kind of kind of a shorter window, but he ended up having a really long run of it uh in the n h l maybe not putting up quite the the point totals. Um, he didn't land on too, too many year end all-star teams, which we're going to get to on this pod, uh, the year end all-stars, but, um, he didn't land on too many of those. So like, nah. was he, was he ever, you know, a top 15 player in the league? Yeah, but it it was a short window, but just what he overcame defecting from, uh, from Russia and coming over and like, whether you wanted to throw him in the player category or in the builder category, like whatever it takes, like you can't tell the history of hockey without talking about Alexander McGilney. So like wake the fuck up and get him in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm on board. I think, uh, he was one of the guys that was, uh, kind of one of my favorite players to watch when I started, uh, in the NHL, just the skill he was able to put on display and as you mentioned the story of him defecting from Russia is really something else if uh, the listeners haven't heard that one, it's worth looking into because uh, really mind bending in some ways.
0: Yeah, I just tweeted out the uh, the Sportsnet uh, mini-doc that they did, uh, Defector. It's It's available on YouTube for free, so like there's no point in anyone who loves hockey not watching that. It's twenty five minutes of your life and it, it's well worth uh, it's well worth the watch
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we should note this will probably come out a week after all of this happened, so uh, it's current news to us, but it's it's all old news to everyone else um Alex. <laughs> Uh, more current events um, are you feeling confident about the NHL being able to pull off its return even in light of uh, of all the positive COVID-19 tests
1: uh, I would say I'm over 80% sure they'll get it started and I'm probably 50-50 on them fully finishing it
0: yeah I have no idea I, I like I I don't even dare. There's a reason we haven't really been talking about that part of it on these pods because it's just like I don't know. Everyone throws on their their doctor, their medical scientist hat, and it's like you're not any of those things. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like you're you're way out of your depth, and I'm way out of my depth. So I don't dare jump into that stuff too too much. Um, I, I just think it's ridiculous to think that we know what's best for these players and what's not but if they want to come back and they're they're willing to come back then I think they're going to try it and like if anything I don't know these positive tests are to me a positive because it shows that these things aren't going undetected right like we know we knew that pl- players were going to come down with it so I don't necessarily view it as a negative I'm still fully on board but maybe I'm just a a careless lunatic
1: yeah, I think it's uh, it's out of our hands, and we can talk about it all we want, but uh, they're going to go about it, uh, it how they see uh, best between the NHL and the NHLPA. And if they do manage to sort it all out safely and come back, then
0: I'll be uh, more than happy to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm dying to watch, okay? like, I, So it, it's lottery week, mm-hmm. um, again, the draft lottery will have already happened or at least phase one of the draft lottery will have already happened by the time this pod is out. Um, but I still remember exactly where I was when the Oilers won the McDavid lottery. Like this stuff, like I've, I've been dying to see the success that the Oilers could have with Connor McDavid from the second I found out. I didn't even find out the night of the lottery. I was out, on a forest fire we were we were camped out in this uh at this uh tourist lodge uh, and then going out to the fire during the day and so we we spent the night in this lodge completely off my radar that the draft lottery was happening that night because i was full on firefighting mode and the morning comes we're having breakfast as a crew and uh you know my one crewmate mark uh he's like hey pulls it up on his phone. He's like, Hey, you'll never guess who won the draft lottery. And I guessed like eight teams before I guessed the Oilers, cause they had just won three in a row. Like they're not winning that shit again. And then he's like, no, Edmonton won. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This is amazing. So and I was like within four years, they're winning the cup and it's already been five. And this is the best crack that they'll have at it since. And so I'm dying. I'm dying to see the Oilers uh, in the playoffs once again. And if it doesn't happen, I'll be disappointed. But uh, I guess that's life. That's the life of a hockey fan for
1: most of us anyway.
0: No doubt. Yeah, there only
1: gets to be one winner, right? And sometimes it some, seems like it's uh, the same teams over and over again too. So. Yeah.
0: Well, I was just going to say sometimes you, we don't even get one. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. Um. Okay, so... Uh, the the task that i i assigned you um for this podcast discussing the year end all stars you ready to go alex
1: uh generally before we start is there a clarification on what position we think
0: tricytile plays okay so we'll get into it now um you were asking me about it and i was being super coy because I don't give a shit what position he plays. Okay. The roster positions for this stuff is dumb. Like Luke Robitaille was a first team all-star because he was the only good player who played left wing. And he was a first team all-star for like a decade. Was he ever a top 10 player for that whole time? I don't know. Maybe a couple of years, but like it's dumb. He was the only good guy playing left wing, like positions. Positions are out of the mix as far as I'm concerned. How about the year 2013 when Ovechkin was first team all-star at right wing and second team all-star at left wing? Like that's proof positive that winger positions are completely interchangeable. That's the game today. It's a complete throwback to this archaic area where or archaic era where players played these fixed positions. Hockey is a fluid game. And putting these players into this box is just a complete stupid mentality um, that results in us not capturing the best players of that season. So you look at that 2013 year, Chris Kunitz was first team left wing. Crosby and Taze were our, our first team centermen. Deserved. St. Louis led the league in scoring and he was the second team right wing. Stamkos was second in league scoring, and he doesn't even make the list because Crosby and Taves own the, the center positions. Patrick Kane was the offensive leader of the wire-to-wire Presidents Trophy winner, and he was fifth in scoring. He doesn't make the team. You had Prime Kessel, Prime Datsuk, Prime Hall, all playing healthy, awesome seasons, all in the top ten of scoring. They all get shut out of the All-Star voting that year, and it's just. I don't know. I think that the position designations are dumb. Let's just capture the top 10 forwards when we're doing the, or the top six forwards when we're doing these positions. Like what, what are the two most important positions in hockey? Would you say, Alex?
1: Arguably defense and goaltending probably.
0: I would say center and goaltending.
1: Like, fair what enough. does every
0: team dra- try to draft at the top of the draft? They're number one centerman. You can't get them any other way otherwise, right? It's a fair point. And we only give two slots for centermen and two slots for goalies, but you got four winger slots and four defense slots. There's, there's some kind of wacky balance taking place here. Um, I think that we should be going the Team Canada approach. Just take the best forwards, regardless of position. 80% of them are going to be centermen. And we just put them however, whatever it takes to capture the best players in the league at the forward position so that we can better capture this stuff. So we can use this stuff when we're coming up with Hall of Fame cases. When we're looking back on this stuff, it, it doesn't make sense that Chris Kunitz, isn't, he's never getting a Hall of Fame plaque. He's a good player. He's part of like a key component of some championship teams, uh, even a you know, he was an Olympian and you could argue he was even worthy of being on those teams, but he was never a top 10 forward in the league. And yet he lands on one of these teams because of these strange position makeups. And it just, it doesn't for me capture the spirit of what we're trying to do, because as you mentioned before the pod, we look back on this stuff and like it, it's so hard to figure out whether there was a snub or not in any given season because you've got to go back 10 years and really put yourself into the, the frame of mind that you, you, know, you would have been in then. But if you get rid of the positional designations and you just say, hey, who are the best forwards, period, then we can grab the top six and that's going to give us a way better picture Uh, a way better telling of the story of that season than if we stick with these fixed ideas of left wing, center, right wing, just grab the best forwards.
1: Uh, I'm on board with that for sure. I know there was uh, some similar debate in my mind when I was trying to pick uh, the wingers for this year and thinking, oh, if only I could stick another center or two in there instead of one of the wings. So I'm definitely on with that. And I also know that looking back on last year, uh, picking back up on Dreisaitl, he was messed up last year and apparently was voted the fourth best left wing last year, the eighth best center, and the eighth best right wing. So I think there's a bit of an issue with the voting system there that he can get left off the ballot, but be voted uh, in the top 10 for three different slots.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Does he does he land in the top 6 forwards if he's not getting split amongst all these different ballots at different positions? Maybe maybe he doesn't. He was really good last year. I would have said he was probably borderline for those year-end all-stars. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he could just get thrown around at all those different positions is lunacy to me. Like just throw it out go team Canada style pick the best six players because otherwise you end up in positions like you were in where you're asking, do I vote them in as a left wing or a center? And I just think that it's dumb and it's not going to do the, the best job of, of telling the story. So I guess going into this, are you also going to throw away positions? Cause I didn't even think about it beyond forward defense and goalie.
1: I had uh, I had it listed out in centers, left wings, and right wings, but uh, I had a few extra options listed out just for discussion points, and I can easily narrow it down to my top six uh, right now. So, yeah, I'm happy to do away with the positions.
0: Yeah, and you know what? If, if you want to throw out this is how I would have had it if we are going strictly with positions, then we we can do that also because that's how the nhl is going to vote on these because we're stupid and stuck in the past and i'm angry about it but ultimately that's not how i made up my teams and i refuse to put my team together that way i'm still going to have wingers on my team but it's not going to decide how i make my vote makes sense to me but before we dive into this i have to talk about how stupid the all-star team naming convention is so like you mentioned before the pod we have a mid-season all-star game where the nhl has players from every team shoehorned in as quote unquote all-stars And then at the end of the year, we also have all-star teams. So we have multiple all-star teams in any given year. And it's just because the naming convention is dumb. Which one's the real all-star team? Oh, they're all all all-star teams. Well, now I'm confused. I look up all-star and I get the players who played in January, but I'm looking for the year-end all-stars and you can't find this stuff. And even Major League Baseball figured this shit out. They have... They're all-star teams that play in the all-star game. And then at the end of the year, they have their all MLB team. And it's a very simple fix that puts these things into their own boxes and allows us to discriminate along those lines, right? Like the we know that the all-star teams in the all-star game are for a wide swath of fans. And it's a celebration of the game. And so we invite players from every team. The all-NHL teams are about celebrating the best players from that season. And using the same name for both of those is dumb. So the NHL also needs to figure their shit out and get rid of that. The NBA has the all-NBA team. Major League Baseball, the all-MLB team. It's a very simple fix the All-NHL team would just solve it completely and there would be no more confusion. Uh,
1: I'm with you on that. I think probably lower down on the uh, priority list of things that we want the NHL to fix first, but uh, definitely anything that uh, should be able to get done without any real thought
0: put into it. Yeah, and I guess that's the problem with bureaucracy, right? Like everything requires a 10-hour meeting and weeks and weeks of emails when a simple fix like that should be you know one three-minute conversation and they make the change because it's for the best but that that's not how bureaucracy works so the nhl great um so let's discuss our our all nhl teams for the uh 2019 2020 season i'm going team canada rules um Alex, who was in debate for your first team forwards? So first
1: forwards, I had Dreisidel in there for sure, uh, regardless of position anyway. Uh, And then if he was at center, then I really would have had to have uh, some kind of debate between Dreisaitl, McKinnon, and McDavid. Uh, Shifting him to left wing didn't make things much easier between Dreisaitl, Panarin, and Ovetkin. So, going to Team Canada rules, taking those five, and then David Pasternak on right wing makes things really easy. Those would be my top six. If I had to stick Seidel at center, I still don't know if I would have gone with McDavid over McKinnon, or not. And I think I would have gone Panarin over Ovechkin on left wing if that's where Drysaitl slots in. And then right wing, there was a bit of a debate as to who the last one was. I might have even gone with JT Miller, just with the excellence that he had in Vancouver. But uh, Patrick Kane, Nikita Kucherov, and Mark Stone were all in consideration on my end anyway. But uh, bottom line in Team Canada rules, it would end up being Seidel, McKinnon, McDavid, Panarin, Ovechkin, and Pasternak.
0: Okay, I divided things up a little bit uh, in terms of specifically for my first team, and then specifically for my second team. So I ended up with McKinnon, Pasternak, Panarin, and Drysidle as the only four guys I was considering for my first team. And ultimately, I went away from Drysidle. I think that I'm not even positive that. He was the best player on his own team, the best player at his position um, on the Oilers. McDavid is the better player. Drysal probably had the better season. I would uh, like I have him on my heart ballot and not McDavid. So I think that he had the better season, and we saw what happened when McDavid missed a, a few weeks of games, and Dreisaitl really carried the team. You thought there was going to be a drop-off, and there wasn't. But I also remember how desperate things looked in the month of December, when Dreisaitl's five-on-five play basically it completely fell off the earth when he was split up from McDavid and he, you know, he really couldn't score. He scored, he was a point per game in 14 games. He had 14 points in December, but it sure didn't feel like it. Half of his points came on the power play and he just looked like an absolute shell of himself because maybe a little bit of fatigue because he played more minutes than any other forward in the NHL and maybe just, he couldn't carry a line by himself without uh, a significant amount of help. And as soon as Yamamoto showed up in the new year, uh, he, along with uh, Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins absolutely took the NHL by storm. And that's when Dreisaitl pulled away from the pack in, in terms of scoring and certainly a dynamic player, but I I'm still not positive. He's the best player on his own team. Whereas McKinnon, Pasternak and Panarin all, definitely clinched that for me and Panarin he had to do so much by himself just to keep the Rangers hanging around in the scoring race or sorry in the uh, playoff race and Pasternak he ends up tying for the Rocket Richard Trophy um, an impressive goal scoring performance for the runaway president's trophy winning Boston Bruins um, you know, he's in a similar situation to Dreisaitl where he's got elite line mates, elite teammates, but I don't penalize guys for that too, too much when I think that they're hands down the best player. And then McKinnon, uh, he ended up getting my, my number one heart vote because he was on a team in the hunt for first place in the West and still kind of lingering in in the president's trophy race but definitely uh, a stanley cup contender and it was a team riddled by injuries you know his his top line mates from last season all missed you know double digit games and their their top defenseman missed uh plenty of time as well and he absolutely carried the team he was a, a top five scorer and and just a really impressive player so my my top three forwards uh, my first team forwards were McKinnon, Pasternak, and Panarin. But if you've got Dreisaitl in there, like I'm not going to fight too hard over it.
1: That's fair on my end. I, I can agree with your discussion point on uh, Dreisaitl versus McDavid. And I think I have settle in there because, as you said, he probably did have the better season over McDavid, even though I agree McDavid is the better player. And I think this is just a season-long award, so I guess for that reason, I have Dreisaitl ahead of McDade, though I do give credit to you being a little bit more aware of how we looked throughout the season, being an Edmonton fan, and yeah, I don't have that kind of sour taste in my mouth from Dry settle's production in December, but uh, on the whole, it was a very impressive season. Did you end up uh,
0: going through your second uh, line forwards to conclude that? Yeah. So to to wrap things up, like Drysidel was in the hunt for my first team. And while he fell short, he like shoe in for my second team. And then I ended up with uh, five, no, six, six guys in the running for the last two spots. McDavid, whom you, whom you mentioned, uh, Marshand, uh, Austin Matthews, Nikita Kucherov, who you mentioned, uh, Jack Eichel, and Evgeny Malkin. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to have McDavid in there. Second leading scorer. He's been he, three straight years as the first team centerman on these, uh, these year-end all-star teams. And he's not going to get there this year, almost certainly. But he he didn't have the most impressive season, but I think by his standards, but I think that he still, he still makes a team because you're looking at McDavid in the prime of his career, still the best player in the league. So he gets in there just kind of off of reputation and – while it, it, by his standards, not the best season, still a very strong season. So I'm down to those other five guys for that last spot. And maybe you can give me a hand navigating it.
1: Yeah, it's it's a tough vote. Uh, you ended up with a few extra names at uh, left wing and center with Eichel, Matthews. I think you said Malkin and Marchand. And I did because I ended up diving a little deeper into right wings to try and fit the positions. But uh going positionless for that. I I think out of the names you mentioned, my vote would probably either go to uh Marshawn or Eichel. Tough to really pick between guys that are so similar and at the top of their games like that uh I guess you have the factor of a winning team but better line mates with Marshawn and Matthews meanwhile the vehicle is just having to carry the buffalo from being as bad as Detroit up to being at least on the 2014 playoff bubble so tough choice there I'm not sure if you lean one way or the other if you had to flip a coin gut check kind of thing
0: yeah, ultimately, you know, uh, I think Malkin doesn't quite make it. He blew the league out of the water in terms of five-on-five five scoring per 60 minutes. But he just didn't play enough games. Like, if he would have kept that pace up, he'd be right up there with Dreisaitl. But he just he missed too many games. And so he probably slides off for me. Eichel probably a better MVP contender than he is a year-end All-Star an, an All-NHL contender. He carried the Sabers. He's you know he's a superstar player, but he doesn't quite have the the performance up to the snuff of some of these other guys. Kucherov big step down from an MVP performance last season he's still in the mix because he's an elite player but um neither he nor the lightning really jumped out as a story of this season and so it's kind of easy to write him off as well so it's so for me it comes down to matthews and Marshan. and i don't know if i'm being colored by dom's game score value added because both of these guys are i think I think they're number like five and six on his game score value added. Uh, McDavid's not even in the top 10 for that. And so these guys would kind of be the next guys up um, in terms of making that team. If you just went pure game score value added, they're number five and six forwards um, for this season in the NHL. But I, I don't want to go purely based off of that. So for me, it's down to Marchand and and Matthews, and I'm not sure who I lean to more. Matthews really, I think that he he took a bit of a leap this season in terms of carrying a bad or a struggling Toronto team. They're not necessarily bad, but they didn't meet expectations. But he also got his coach fired, and it's kind of tough to, tough to vote for that. I don't know if he specifically got his coach fired, but ultimately the, the team had their coach fired for not playing up to their potential whereas the Bruins like I mentioned before ran away with the with the president's trophy so I've got a bunch of of competing narratives and I think that I'm leaning Marchand
1: Uh, I can't fault you for that one anyway
0: okay so that uh that settles it what what did you so what did you end up falling on for your first team and second team
1: Uh, I think if I had to go first team and second team, if we're not uh, dividing positions, I think I would go Dreisaitl, McKinnon, and Panarin as my first team with McDavid, Ovechkin,
0: and Pasternak as second team. Okay. I didn't have Ovechkin in there at all. I thought that this was a much weaker season for him than in the past. Like, certainly the goal scoring... Very, very impressive. I don't know, this Washington team, they don't really seem to have the defensive conscience that they had under Barry Trotz, and I think that they've taken a big step backwards from where they were at Ovechkin's peak in in and around the, uh, the early 2010s. And then certainly they don't they don't look quite like the the juggernaut that they were uh, en route to the cup. But then again, they weren't necessarily a juggernaut or in and around there either. People thought maybe that they could do it, but then they just kept losing to the Penguins. So <laughs> um, yeah, he didn't he didn't even really make the consideration for me, despite uh, him continuing to cement his status as the greatest goal scorer ever. So. What really tipped uh, tipped the scales for you with regard to Ovechkin? Ah, uh,
1: it's a good question. I don't know if I have uh, anything as specific as game scores or uh, even strength points or anything to point his way. I think it's just the fact that he's continued even in his uh, now that he's I think thirty four, he's continued to just be such a dominant goal scoring threat that you know he's coming, you know exactly what he's going to do, and you still can't stop him. And I think he's part of the reason that John Carlson is even in the Norris conversation, is just because they've been able to rely on him as such a power play weapon. And I think without him, the Capitals would be a lot worse at this point, as you were saying, as they not quite the defensive team we're under Bear Trotz anymore. So, I, I could definitely hear arguments, and I wouldn't push too hard to have players in instead of him, whether it's a Marchand or a Matthews or something. But uh, I, I think for now, still Ovechkin in my mind, anyway.
0: Yeah, I I, I still don't think that he's he's very close, um, given the strong seasons that some of the other guys had. But it's not like you grabbed a guy outside of the top 50 and threw him in there for shits and giggles. Not Chris um, Kunitz. No, no. And and to be fair, Chris Kunitz was a top 10 scorer of the year that he got it. He just was dragged there by Sidney Crosby. Um, okay. So you had dry McKinnon and Panarin on your first team and you had Ovechkin, McDavid and Posternak on your second team. My first team, McKinnon, Panarin, Posternak. My second team, Tricidal, McDavid, and Marshand. I think we did a better job than whatever the year end vote's going to be. I can agree with that. Okay, good. Um, let's move on to defense. So for me, I basically, like my, my made up, um, Norris ballot was Yossi, Petrangelo, Hamilton, Carlson, and Hedman. Not in that specific order, but those were the five guys that I considered. So those are the five guys under consideration for my all-NHL teams. Um, Where did you fall? What what are you thinking for your first team?
1: Uh, I had uh, five names down in consideration as well, and those were my five. So I think we're generally on the same page. Okay. Uh, Hamilton gets a bit of a short uh, end of the stick because he was injured. I think if he wasn't, he would be definitely higher on the list. But with having only played just over half the season, I think he ends up uh, – it's a bit of a cop-out way to push somebody off the list. But that's uh, the reason he's dropped to number five in my consideration. and. I think I'm a little biased on Roman Yossi, him being my favorite player and all, but uh, with the offensive season he put up and the fact that he's a little bit uh, more solid with the breakouts and uh, the puck control entries and a little bit more defensive awareness than John Carlson. Uh, He was my lock on the first team with John Carlson and Victor Hedman uh, being at Debate for the second slot. And
0: okay, so let's debate it then. Okay. Okay, so first thing, I'm with you on Yossi. I don't even think, like, I almost don't want there to be anyone else on my fake Norris ballot because I think he's that much of a runaway for the Norris trophy this season. He was so phenomenal. He was everything for a Predators team that they they would be in the lottery this year without him frankly mm-hmm. like he uh, talking game score value added he was the only defenseman in the top 10 this year so not only is he a Norris candidate hell he's a Hart trophy candidate that team had no idea who they were except that they were going to have Yosi running everything for them he was playing that rover position to a T And it's something that Carlson did more and more of to the detriment of his defense. And he just wasn't as effective a two-way guy as Yossi was. Yossi was just that much better at the rover position than Carlson. So I think I'm with you. Yossi, hands down, first team, no question. For me, Hamilton, similar story. He's he's on there because I think he would have been uh, the front runner or a, a strong candidate for the Norris, if not for the injury. So he's just kind of an, an unhonorable mention. And then for that slot, it's really down to Carlson, Hedman and Petrangelo and Carlson. I don't know. I'm not really that interested. I think that because the Capitals game, it's it's fallen off so much. Like he super impressive season, but I I'm not really taking him seriously for, That first team defense slot, just because of his pure offense, like he's he's turned into what everyone criticized Mike Green for being. It's just because he had a a defense first, uh, I I guess reputation before turning into this offensive force. He Mm. now had like he's retained that reputation, and maybe he's better than Green defensively even now that he's pushed in all offense. But the fact that he could lead the league in scoring by so much and he's only like 10th um, in game score value added for a defenseman really tells you something about how lacking his defense was this year.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you that uh, the offensive numbers definitely pushed Carlson up a little higher than uh, his defense warranted. So I think that was where the or at least the conclusion I came to as well with uh, knocking him down and him ending up on my second team. I did end up with uh, Victor Hedman as the second defenseman on my uh, first team ballot. Glad I didn't have to fight you too hard on the EOC bit as well. I think we're both happy with uh, him being in the first slot there. And yeah, it's, I like the Mike Green comparison as well for Carlson that uh, that's kind of what he's become now is just that offensive specialist really for a team that's largely based on offense and largely based on their dominant power play.
0: Yeah. And with Carlson, I'm not sure he's incapable of doing the defensive stuff. He just, he wasn't as effective at it as he has been in the past and You know, I wonder with some players, like some players, they can do all of it and be super effective, whereas there are some players who are just, they they can't, like if you push too far in one direction, then it's going to come at a detriment of other things. It's kind of like with Chris Letang, like he has to do everything to the absolute maximum of his ability in order to be the elite defenseman number one defenseman that he is but by doing so he also f- puts himself at risk of all these injuries whereas a guy like Kessel can kind of just float along and he'll still be super effective but without ever putting himself in, like at maximal effort where he's going to be getting hurt all the time it's just one of those things it's it's who you are it's what you're capable of doing so Carlson he's super capable of being a strong defensive player. He just wasn't. Um, Alex, how did you land on Hedman as your other number one defenseman? I
1: think just looking at the seasons that uh, the rest of the defensemen had past Roman Yossi, and if I had to have one of them on my team, it would be Victor Hedman. He can just do everything all around the ice, and he still managed manages even on a stacked lightning team to put up uh, incredible numbers and still uh, be, when you watch the game, he still manages to be one of the best players on the ice. He still stands out as being such an important part of that team, uh, both on the offensive and defensive ends. So yeah, it's, I could see arguments for Carlson, Tarangelo, Hamilton, if you wanted to, but uh, Hedman's the guy that all around, I think, is most deserving there.
0: He kind of fell back. Similar to what I did with McDavid, the best player in the world argument, Hedman's Mm -hmm. the best defenseman in the league. Um, Did he have the best defenseman season? No, he didn't. That was Yossi. But he's certainly in the mix, and so push comes to shove, tie goes to the uh the champion so to speak um so Hedman I yeah I I can buy that argument for putting him in there I thought Petrangelo had a a very strong season he would be Norris worthy in a season where Roman Yossi didn't go crazy he's kind of always been in the mix Um, Mm -hmm. as one of those top guys, and I don't want to do the the Drew Doughty Career Achievement Award thing, so I can't go supremely one way or the other, but certainly Petrangelo was a two-way force on a team that was the best in the Western Conference, and they kind of they really defined that that powerhouse. Like power hockey, defensive stinginess, hockey, and yet he still had really strong offensive numbers on a team that lost its best goal scorer. So he did a whole heck of a lot of heavy lifting, maybe the most that he's had to do. You know, they they traded away Joel Edmondson, j Bo Meester took a step back, and then he had that that horrific uh, incident uh, collapsing on the bench. So he was done. Uh, this is a team that. You know, they were, they were the champs last year. They were an absolute juggernaut and they lost a decent chunk of that core, especially on the defensive end. And he still managed to keep them as a very strong unit. So yeah, I could go either way on Hedman versus Petrangelo. I lean Petrangelo, but I, I'm not, uh, I'm not that committed to it one way or the other. I'm on board with that. That's, Fair to hear.
1: I think, uh, yeah, you could have told me that the actual ballot had had or Petrangelo there and I'd be fine with it. I would uh, argue too hard either way.
0: Yeah. So. And I, I think uh, as much as we've shit on him, we both have John Carlson on our second team. Right. And we're both certain that he's going to end up on the first team. Yeah, I'd say that's likely. Okay. Um, goalies. Uh, I had three under consideration, but I'm wondering uh, what you thought, Alex. Uh,
1: I thought it was generally a two-horse race, and my biggest decision was which one to put on the first team and which one to put on the second team. I'm curious who your third one was.
0: Okay, so like I was with you. I thought it was a two-horse race, and then I saw ClearSight Analytics numbers. And I had uh, Paul Campbell from InGoal Magazine on the podcast last week, and he opened my eyes to uh, Jacob Markstrom. And like, it's not like Markstrom wasn't on my radar. I had him on my Vesna ballot, but I thought it was Rask and Hellebuck Runaway. Mm -hmm. But uh, according to Clearsite's data, Markstrom actually had a tougher defensive situation than hellebuck did which is insane because the jets were an absolute tire fire but apparently markstrom's situation was even tougher and he was like neck and neck with hellebuck in terms of uh, goals saved above their model like they factor in pre-shot movement screens shot location all that stuff so like an even better measure than goals saved above average. Like goals saved above average is just, you know, what what are you relative to league average relative to the number of shots you faced? So you're not even looking at like how tough those shots were at all. Whereas like clear sight, they take expected goals with shot locations and they take it to an even higher level. So they factor all this stuff in and Markstrom, despite playing like 15 less games than Hellebuck, was neck and neck with him in terms of the number of goals he saved, and, and just the what he did, or what happened to the Canucks when he didn't play, with Demko just not holding up. He was he was a below average backup, mm-hmm. and and just absolutely tanked. Um, maybe through no fault of his own, maybe that team just really wasn't that good, and Markstrom was dragging them along with a a, a really strong offense to postseason contention.
1: That's uh, definitely an interesting take. I hadn't looked that much into the numbers. I know I did listen to the podcast uh, about ClearSight, but uh, I hadn't actually looked into the numbers too much after that to really dive into who I was uh, picking with that. But uh, bringing up Markstrom as someone that did end up uh, facing a harder workload than Hellebuck is something that, definitely should put his name into consideration even if uh, the numbers on the surface don't really have him in the same tier so yeah i I could get it uh i could get on board with having him in contention there i i still don't know if it's enough for me to put him on my ballot i think if you're comparing him uh, workload wise to hellebuck with the numbers uh adding in the extra 15 games I think it was said that Hellebuck played then it still tells me that Hellebuck was able to do that even with such a large workload and we're seeing nowadays that goalies do much better with a lighter workload so Hellebuck having to do that for a Winnipeg team that was such a tire fire on defense and do it for 15 more games I think kind of outweighs that uh deeper number look that we saw with Markstrom. And on the flip side of it, you have probably the easiest uh, workload in the NHL with Tuka Rask, but even though he did see an easier time, he was lights out in just about every game he played all season. So there's, I think, some consideration to playing to that even if you have a little bit of an easier situation. Uh, So those were, I guess, my two picks there with Hellebuck and Rask. And I think Hellebuck uh, being number one on my list.
0: You'll have no disagreement from me on Hellebuck. So I don't think there's any point in debating him any further. I'm having a real tough time uh, after talking to Paul and looking at the the clear sight data not taking markstrom over rask even though you know i i've already released my my article um for all my year end voting and i had rask above markstrom so to flip it now would be inconsistent um but that that clear data is very compelling and i got to say d- just listening to uh, Steve Valaket talking about the process that goes into it and just how difficult the situation that Markstrom had this season was really, it's hard to keep him off of there, even though like we know Rask, he's a proven commodity. The story of this NHL season can, you know, you have to talk about the Bruins running away with the president's trophy and that's why we've got guys from their team all over this uh, this all NHL team certainly a, a valid candidate but um, he wasn't hurt and Markstrom was and they still had like the same workload in terms of games played so uh, workload kept Rask off the top of my Vesna ballot and I think I could do this I could use the same argument in keeping him off of, uh, off of the year end all-stars as well.
1: Yeah. I think if we discounted Dougie Hamilton in his 40 games, then uh, that's a fair argument to make with Rusk Ruskin, his 40 odd games he played as well. So I, I, I could be swayed. I don't know if I'm swayed enough to change my vote to this point, but uh, you definitely have me closer to, Markstrom than I was before the podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I remain undecided on this one as well. Uh, I might just stick with the consistency of Tuukka Rask, but I think either guy you could tell the story of the season using those guys. And maybe this gets back to my original point of how dumb some of this stuff is. Goalie and center, the most important positions in the game, and we've only got two slots for each of them on the all-NHL teams. Yeah.
1: It's unfortunate, but uh, I guess the other thing is you can't have two Stanley Cup winners, even if you have two insanely good teams in a season. So, in the end, you do end up having to pick one.
0: Right you are, Alex. Right you are. Um, Alex, that's that's it. We put together our all-NHL teams for the year. Um, Any lingering thoughts about this process? Uh
1: not nothing uh too crazy to get off my chest at this point. I do agree with you on most of the points that the formats are a little strange at best, but uh we do with it what we can and even though we don't have any sway in it, it's fun to debate.
0: Well I, I appreciate you hearing me out on some of this stuff. Uh, do you have anything to plug, Alex? uh nothing specific to plug just don't be dumb wear a mask that's about it right on and we'll make sure that we check out your capped articles over at dauber hockey and we can follow you on twitter at alex d McLean. alex once again thanks so much for coming on the pod thanks for having me steve pleasure as always right on stay safe you too